What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. This episode of Writing Excuses is brought to you by Audible. Visit audiblepodcast.com slash excuse to start your free trial membership. Season 9, episode 35. This is Run Excuses, what to do if you disagree with your editor. 15 minutes long. Because you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. I'm Brandon. I'm Dan. I'm Mary. And I have not had as many editors as you guys have had, so. <laughs> well, fortunately, we have a guest star, Peter Ovrulian. Say hi, Peter. Hello. Peter Ovrulian is a tour author with um, a book, Vault of Heaven, and the sequel soon to come out. And he has also had some interesting experiences with multiple editors. He's a good friend and also um, a rock star. Thank you, yes. <laughs> yes, know me for that. <laughs> and um, that is not the metaphoric no, rock star. No, he's actually a rock star. Um, yeah. And we are also not the beverage. <laughs> <laughs> recording live at Westercon. <laughs> All right, Peter. So um, we want to talk about dealing with editors. Now, I get questions about this a lot. Most of the time on Writing Excuses, we talk about writing craft. But once in a while, we like one of these episodes where we talk about kind of the real world writing as a, a working writer. And one of the aspects of working as a writer is dealing with editors. Sometimes you have fantastic relationships with the editors. Sometimes you have less than fantastic relationships with the editors. And sometimes editors that you otherwise have a fantastic relationship with, occasionally you have a big disagreement. Um, and so we're going to talk about what to do, how you navigate this, how it feels, um, and, and what your experiences are. And you kind of just went through this. Do you want to outline this to us, what happened? Yeah, so I had this great experience where um, I had an, an agent that was not a good match. I fired him because he'd been asking me to write thrillers. And so I started to market those thrillers, found a new agent who didn't want the thrillers but wanted my fantasy, which was 10 years old. He sent it to Tor, Tor bought it, and they assigned me an editor um, that was a complete mismatch. Um, uh, he and I, he effectively, in my view, was editing my voice. And so as we got into these editorial discussions, it was really, really challenging because I wanted to do so many different things with the book that was so much older, and he wanted to publish the book he bought. So we butted heads for a long time. Ultimately, it soured to the point where we, we went our separate ways. And what I learned through that, one of the things I learned is 
with most publishing houses, you have one gimme. They recognize there's going to be mismatches sometimes. So if you're thoughtful about going through your agent and talking to your publisher in a, you know, in a very respectful way, they'll usually try and find you a better match. Okay. I would be concerned, you know, I come from the business world, I would be concerned that, you know, firing your editor or asking for a different editor is you're letting, you're getting rid of the person who was passionate about buying this book for the publishing house in the first place, and that seems... Risky. I mean, was that the job that this particular editor had? Well, my, my case was a little interesting in that my agent sent it directly to Tom. And Tom kind of kind of was the, the deciding factor. And, and so you're Thomas safer. The publisher. Yeah, you're right. safer. Uh, and he, yeah. I was a little safer. But the, the thing that happened for me is I had been coming to places like this for a long time and meeting editors in you know the dealer's room, etc. So at the time when I realized this really was not going to be a long-term relationship with this editor, um, I already knew an editor there with whom I was friends. Literally for 10 years, when I go to New York, we go to dinner. And so um, I broached the subject with her, and she said, don't feel weird. This happens. She said, I've taken on writers, and I've had to give away writers that were, with which this has happened. And so what I found was the most powerful thing you can have as a writer is an agent internally who's going to be a great advocate. Yeah. And, mm -hmm. and so these kinds of these weekends are great because you get to meet those kind of people, and the friendships really are very, very important. So I'm picking out several really important things that I'd like our listeners to, um, to highlight you just said. The first off was know that making a little bit of a disturbance as a writer is not going to blacklist you and ruin your career. Um, if you honestly get to the point where this is not working, you're not being a prima donna to, to kind of throw your weight around, even if you have very little weight. It's okay. Um, I think new writers, I was like this, and I'm still kind of like this. It's like, oh, don't make waves. Agent, don't make waves. Right. I want people to be happy and to like me. Let's not make waves. But sometimes you need to, and you need to be okay. And you need to understand that this is a business, and all the editors are treating it like a business. And, you know, maybe there will be some hurt feelings, but it will be okay in the long run. We had an episode, I don't remember who said this, but uh, I, I think it was an editor who said that uh, he recognized that the very cheapest way for us to put this book into print is for you, the author, to be the person who writes it for us. Um, and so you always have that as leverage. Right. You are still the very best way to make this book happen. I mean, there's definitely a risk to, mm -hmm. to underscore what you're saying. You can become the problem. You can. And, and, and that reputation will follow you. But the, I think the inverse is true. Like what I did, I, was, I had the same fear. Mm -hmm. And so I, I spent a lot of time having conversations with, with writers, right. with other editors I knew, and approached this sort of as, as, very, as thoughtfully as I could. And they, so they knew. By the time I got to the point where I said to my agent, I really do think we have to make a change, um, when we approached Tom, it was like, we understand. We kind of laid out what the issues were. It wasn't Peter having a, a problem. Right. I need, you know, you're not doing well enough for me. Um, so I think a lot of how you approach it is, is it. Yeah, I think one of the things that, you know, when you say you laid it out for them, that it, it's very much about making it a, a business decision. Sure. sure. Yeah. Yeah, it well, is your career. And right. you were proactive. This is the other thing I highlighted I think is really important. You talked about going and meeting other editors, knowing the business, and saying, here is an alternative. Here is, you know, you, you had laid your groundwork, and I really, that's, I think, very important to this, is you aren't coming off as a prima donna because you're saying, this is not working, here's something I think will work. You're offering an alternative. Yeah, mm -hmm. and, and, you know, it should, I, I would say this, there are definitely personalities in the sort of yeah. larger writer, editorial pool in New York, mm -hmm. and um, some of them are challenging, and 
some writers are great fit for those mm -hmm. particular editors. Um, but when I started to approach this, like it was, it was easy for me to sort of convey my case to people because the editor kind of had a bit of a reputation. Right. Right. So that worked in my instance. I'm not going to say that's going to work for everybody. But now I, I've had an experience similar to this with my middle grade books, which are at Scholastic. And what happened with me is I got orphaned. Um, which is industry term for your editor leaving and you getting handed to a new one. Um, I had done one book of a four book contract with an editor who was passionate and excited about my books, who had bought them and been my advocate, and then she moved to another editorial house. And I was given to another editor um, who acted very excited. They always do. It's part of their job. But we were a bad match. Um, this editor did not fight for my books, um, did not really edit my books, um, kind of, you know, had this problem of the, the stepchild thing, which this doesn't happen to all stepchilds, but the fear is, and what happened to me was that the, the editor's books that they were, had found that they were passionate about were more important than my books, and my series just completely belly flopped. First book did gangbusters. Second book, complete, just vanish. Um, and we had this kind of bad experience for the next few years till finally we, bought the books back from the publisher and took them somewhere else, um, which is something I was able to do in the state that I am. But there were two, three, well, really two books in there because the last one got no editorial. It was just sent in. They said, this is good. Um, but there were two books where I had to work with an editor with whom I disagreed. Um, and you got your first book out working with the editor that you eventually moved on from. Yeah. So let's, let's talk about this idea of... Um, of how to work with an editor, but first... Hey writers, are you thinking about learning a new language? I think exploring the world, experiencing other cultures, and being able to communicate with people outside your everyday experience lets you create richer, better stories. A great way to do that is with Rosetta Stone, a trusted expert for over 30 years with millions of users and 25 languages offered. They use an immersive technique which leads to fast language acquisition. It's an intuitive process that helps you really learn to speak, listen, and most of all, think in the language you're trying to learn. They also feature true accent speech recognition technology that gives you feedback on your pronunciation. It's like having a voice coach in your home. Learn at home or on the go with a desktop and mobile app that let you download and access lessons even when you're offline. And it's an amazing value. A lifetime membership gives you access to all 25 languages, including Spanish, French, Italian, German, Japanese, and, of course, Korean. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Writing Excuses listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash today. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Howard is waving at me. We need to stop for a book of the week. And um, Peter, you are going to promo Unfettered to us. I am. So Sean Speakman is a friend of mine, and he's a cancer survivor. And he published this anthology called Unfettered, Unfettered of Great Fantasy Writers who donated short fiction in order to um, subsidize all of his health care because as a freelancer, he had none. So one, that's a really great thing for him to do rather than to, to declare bankruptcy. But the book itself is wonderful. It features Brandon. Um, I've got a story in there. Wasn't that the one that launched at Phoenix or yes. Comic-Con? Yep. Yeah, yep. it did. There was a lot of noise about that book, a lot mm-hmm. of excitement. There's a thing for our audience at Westercon, we have copies at my booth. Yeah, it mm-hmm. is, you know, in addition to this sort of great humanitarian purpose that it has, there's wonderful fiction in there. Um, I also happen to have written a song based on it, so you should check that out. <laughs> great. How can they get Unfettered? Audiblepodcast.com slash excuse. Pick up a copy of Unfettered, edited and compiled by Sean Speakman and written by all of the awesome people. So, let's talk about working with an editor when you disagree with them. Um, and let's try and narrow this down. Like, hopefully, most of our readers, when they have an editor, or our listeners, when they have an editor, they will usually get along with them, but once in a while have something with the editor that they, they just disagree on. Um, have, have you guys had this? Dan and Mary, I think we all have. Let's talk about what you do when you disagree with the editor. I... I love the editor that I work with uh, at at Harper. That always starts well. I know. I love it. But there was one issue on the the first partials book on which we disagreed very strongly. And uh, there there was uh, at one point one draft of the revision that had three or four layers of track changes arguments going back and forth throughout the book. And uh, there's, a, there's a friend, and I saw her here earlier at the convention, that uh, she asked if she could read an early manuscript, and I accidentally sent her that one <laughs> that had this giant argument where we're yelling at each other, and it was awesome. But um, <laughs> the, uh, you know, what I learned from that is you know, really taking a good hard look at your priorities. You know, and, and I think that goes back to what Peter was saying about, you know, are, are you willing to stick with an editor you don't like? You know, well, you have to decide. Is, is, is having a horrible career that you hate, or is having no career at all because you refuse to rock the boat more important than rocking the boat? Or on a, on a smaller scale, is giving up this one thing that you think is great, you know, maybe you should trust this editor who knows what he or she is doing. And I... I had to learn that lesson on partials, which is embarrassing because it was like the fifth book that I'd published. Uh, but, you know, take a good hard look at your priorities when these things come up, and that can help you decide which way to go. Yeah, I, I had a situation with my editor where we disagreed on something and went back and forth uh, trying to understand what it was. And she's like, you know what, it is your book, and you have to be happy with it. So, so we... we you know, so I, I kept it the way that I wanted it. And the book came out, and <clears throat> many of the reviews flagged the same thing Ooh. as an error. And, and I looked at it again. I'm like, you know what? She was, in fact, right. 
So what that has taught me is that when I have a disagreement with my editor, that I take a step back and recognize that the reaction that she is having and is it's not the reaction that I'm trying to provoke. So what I need to look at is I may not need to change the work to the thing that she is telling me to change it to, mm-hmm. but right. that something, something is wrong. Something yeah. is wrong. Not be broken. You know, yeah. that's the number one thing I've noticed working with the editor. Um, when something is wrong, usually he's pretty good. Moshe's pretty good at saying, this is what's wrong. Sometimes he's not. Sometimes he's misfired and said, this is wrong when it's really problem three. Um, and this is something you cultivate working in a writing group, because I've noticed in a writing group, most of the time they'll notice something's wrong, but most of the time they'll be wrong about what it is. Um, and it, it's so, a, a statement. Yeah. Um, the customer can always tell when there's a problem. Yeah. The customer never knows how to fix it. Right. Now, the uh, editor often does. The, but right, yeah. the editor often does. Mary's right in really trying to identify what's going on here. The other thing that I would say is if you start having a really big disagreement, call them. Um, because mm-hmm. what I've found working with editors is over ta- overwriting. We in this field generally are very good at writing. Imagine that. Um, and we are very. We've been trained, usually with a university education, to make our arguments and our rhetoric as forceful, as pointed, and as powerful as possible. And so when you start going back and forth in your you know, track changes, you suddenly start just getting harder and harder and, and things like this. And if you call the editor, sometimes the editor says, yeah, it's not really that big of a deal. I think it's just this little tweak if you make that. Or, and you mm-hmm. say, well, what if I did this? So like, oh, yeah, that might work. Whereas you've had like three pages of arguments over whether you use the word lectern or whether you use the word podium <laughs> when it was just a yeah. simple thing if you talked to now, a person. Now, one thing related to that that I, I run into all the time and I have to always remind myself, so I want to point this out, is... Um, you have to remember as you are going through an editor's changes to your work that they have written all of them at once and then given them to you. And so the changes that you come upon in the manuscript, they don't yeah. know that you've already fixed the earlier comments. <laughs> oh, that's so and annoying. And so I'll read through and I'm like, you know, this is the 50th time you've told me that this thing is wrong. I fixed the other ones. I know it's wrong. And then I have to remind myself. Oh, yeah, he wrote this before I fixed all the other ones. Well, and in, I won't get mad. In his mind, he's like, it's the 50th time he's done this thing. Why won't he fix it <laughs> yeah. when he hasn't given any of it to you yet to yeah. fix? And you know, the, many of the things you're describing, I think, are part and parcel of an editorial relationship. Right. Mm-hmm. You're going to hit these things. For me, the thing is that I learned going through this sort of rough process with like right. a, a misalignment, and, and, and I heard this actually from Jacqueline Carey, she, and this is what, like, uh, hit me because I, I asked her for the same advice. She said she talked about sharing the same vision, uh-huh. and so what I realized is that the editor I had my initial, we didn't share the same vision for the book, and so no amount of, like getting into the weeds with comma splices and yeah. this that that wasn't where it was at. It was at the highest level. We were right. not aligned on what this this book and series was, and so when I moved to the next editor, that was the first thing I said to her. I said, "Look." Um, you and I are great friends. I know you'll be professional, but we need to share the same vision on this book so she, and series. And so she read it. And the last, like this is going to be gratuitous, but the last thing she wrote me after my last, she says, you take editorial revi- um, input like a dream. Mm-hmm. So night and day, but we share the same vision on the series now. And so that's at the highest level that you hope you get that. You don't always. So. That's well, awesome. The, that, the, that's really helpful. Yeah. yeah. The flip side of this, uh, the first <laughs> thing I did for Privateer Press, Extraordinary Zoology, the editorial process was kind of a train wreck because it got handed off, uh, it got handed off midstream. Um, and I was meeting with them to, to talk about doing other stuff. 
uh, and the conversation we had, and I'm, I'm going to mirror what Mary said, the conversation I had with uh, their continuity guy and my editor and one of their marketing people, I came out and said, guys, it's your book. You need to be happy with it. Yeah. Right. You know, because it's it's licensed IP. Yeah. And yeah. the editor looked at me and was like, what? No, 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 that's not what authors say. You, <laughs> you, you, mixed, you mixed those up. You know, it's, but it's, I had had a bad relationship, or not a bad relationship, but a, a bad experience, and I wanted to make sure that I was writing the book that they wanted, that it was their vision, and, and yeah. you know, that's, that's just the opposite. Of we what should you're point doing. out license IP is different. Yes. Uh, working on the Wheel of Time, very different than working on my own books. And the Wheel of Time, I would sometimes make these arguments, but then at the end I would have to say, Harriet, it's your call. It really is. With my editor in New York, it's my call. Mm -hmm. um, at the end of the day, I will still do what Mary said. If I think, you know, I will say, this is my vision of the story, this is staying. Um, and I will make that call. And you should, I think, have that right as the author to have the final say. You should just re listen really, really well to people who have been in the business a long time. All right, we're going to go ahead and stop. Peter, I want to give a big thank you to you. Uh, Vault of Heaven is out right now. And uh, the sequel? Sequel is turned in. It'll come out in April or May of next year. Excellent. And Dan has a writing prompt for us. Yes, I do. I had one. I forgot what it was. I even I know, and then I and then time. I remembered what it was, and then okay, I remember what it is now. It's <laughs> totally unrelated to anything we've been talking about. Okay, you're gonna write a uh, like a sword fighting scene or a fencing scene, um, a la Princess Bride, where they're kind of jabbing wittily at each other with every stroke, but then you're going to make the the witty jabs part of the magic system. <laughs> that makes the fight possible. That's, cool. That's really cool. Well done. And suddenly he really isn't left-handed. <laughs> <laughs> this has been Writing Excuses. You're out of excuses. Now go write. Thank you. Thank you. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.